We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is Mean Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk. In today's show, Elliot, Paul and Tim will be discussing the game against Ludogorets in the Champions League. If I pronounced that wrong, then sue me. Uh, so yeah, enjoy the podcast. Back after the next one. Arsenal get in the end zone but fail to hit the extra point. Will that matter? We'll find out. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you are uh, able to block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. Arsenal hit Ludogratz for six. That pun at the beginning was an American football thing. Don't get all upset about it. It's a sport. It exists. We can reference it. They're playing in London this weekend. Everybody settle down. It's going to be okay. We won't talk about it again, I promise. Anywho, uh, great night in the Champions League. And it's just, you know, it harkens back to, to some of our really heavy hammerings in that competition. And I know people complain that, that the Champions League is boring and it's predictable, but nights like this are a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, seeing Mesut Ozil score a hat trick, um, Theo Walcott scoring a brilliant goal, the whole team just clicking and everything working the way it was supposed to, it was a pleasure to watch. And the football in general is a pleasure to watch. And it's a pleasure to have two uh, expert uh, Arsenal observers on the podcast here today who will make some sense out of the rambling that I've already started doing. So the first is Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Hello there, indeed. And Paul, you can find him on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Hello, Pause. Hello, hello, hello. That's not going to work. That's Hello, Paul. A variety. Hello, Paul. Uh, woohoo! Okay, that's better. Anything is better than whatever that first thing was. So, I mean, I mean great performance all around, and it was return... To the squad for Francis Coughlin, I was a little surprised that Shaka didn't play just because he's not going to play for the next three games. Oxlade-Chamberlain came in for Iwobi, uh, Aspina came in for Czech, and the rest was unchanged, and the football continues to be scintillating. So I'll start with you, Tim. Who is your man of the match and why? Um, that's actually a really, really difficult question, um, happily, because there were lots of really, really good performances. Um and I think actually it's it's difficult as well because the first and second half were quite different. So in the first half, I thought Francis Coquelin was our standout player by some distance. And that was because Ludogorets were actually an attacking, certainly an attacking threat in the first half. And I thought he was absolutely superb. And actually, this is the sort of game that I think he's made for, really, because Ludogorets are a team or... I don't know if they're a team like this in general, but they certainly had a game plan to press us high up the pitch, which meant they left gaps. 
and Coquelin is perfect for kind of exploiting that and he did that time and time again. Now in the second half, Ludogorets didn't really provide an attacking threat and so the ball just wasn't in that area of the field pretty much at all. Um, so then, you, you know, you're looking at Mesut Ozil who actually had a really, really quiet first half um, and, you know, so, so, so it's difficult to kind of pass um, who the man of the match was because the, the two halves were quite different. I would probably plump for Alexis Sanchez, though, because of his kind of performance throughout. I, he's, he's just, he just really seems to have solved that striker issue, um, which, which is a really, really pleasant surprise. I, I thought that, you know, it could work and it might be worth a try, but I, I didn't think it would work as emphatically as it has. Um, and what's really pleasing is, you know, I, I did wonder if perhaps that front, it's just that front three that works rather than Alexis as a striker per se. Whereas, you know, my fear was if you took out one of Iwobi or Walcott, it wouldn't work anymore. But actually, Chang was in for Iwobi on this occasion and it it still really, really works for all the reasons it's been working for the last few weeks. And I, I just thought that he, you know, was leading the charge um, really and you know he still looked absolutely disgusted to be substituted um, which I I have expected him to go straight down the tunnel and find a treadmill somewhere (laughs) part part of me thinks come on you must understand but you know a, a bigger part of me thinks that that's fantastic to have someone who's actually psychologically oddly intense actually like he might be a bit too intense um, but it's, I think it's fantastic to have a character like that in your team. And I think it's fantastic to have a character like that as your centre forward, as someone who is leading the line, um, you know, quite literally. And, you know, his goal was absolutely fantastically taken. And I think what really, really good players do is they don't just bring great performances out of themselves. The top, top players bring great performances out of their teammates and that's what Alexis has been doing and that's what he did again on Wednesday night. Yeah, I mean you're you are spot on about Francis Coughlin in the first half in particular but just in the match in general I thought this was the ultimate expression of how Francis Coughlin can impact a game in a positive way. I thought every time he stepped up to win a ball or make an interception it started a dangerous attack for Arsenal. Um, he was pivotal in creating opportunities through his interventions. And the interesting thing is if you look at the pass map, the biggest difference I can see, and look, it's hard to say from a single game if that is because of one player or just because of the pattern of the game, but with Shaka, the strong lines of connection were in the midfield. Cazorla and Shaka, Shaka to Awobi Alexis, Ozil, Cazorla uh, to Awobi Alexis, Ozil. And in this game, the center was vacated a little bit with the build-up going out to the wings and a lot of our uh, build-up play happening through the fullbacks and through the the wide forwards. And so I I wonder if that's sort of by design that when we play with Coughlin, he tries to affect the game off the when we don't have the ball, but when we do have the ball, we, we don't go through the midfield as much because we realize that that's maybe not as strong an option for us with him in the center of the park. What about you, Paul? Who Who stood out for you on the night? Um, well, I think you hit hit all the notes there between the two of you. I mean, I'd add in Theo. Um, thought he that combination with Sanchez. Um, it'd be interesting to see how good a centre forward proposition it is without Theo, uh, because he really does provide that running in behind piece. I mean, the first thing uh, Sanchez tends to do is abdicate. Uh, the crown and, uh, you know, drop deep and find some space and move around and and create that hole, which is all great. Uh, But Theo's the first guy to to step into it, to to move from from right to center, to stand on the shoulder for the ball, ball through or over and to pressure. So it's um, it's a fascinating combination. And it'll be interesting to see what happens when there's only one of the two on the pitch. I mm-hmm. thought it was really so. Uh, um, all the names mentioned, I'd probably go with. I think uh, I'd like to think it's a definitive performance for Ozil in the sense that 
uh, this ongoing verbal battle between Arson and Ozil debating the merits of goals versus more assists. You know, uh, he did seem to really enjoy scoring his goals. And he, uh, just like Walcott is taking advantage to be on the, the, the shoulder on the right-hand side, more and more we've seen Ozil on the shoulder on the left-hand side or through the middle. And you want him to be taking those shots. So um, the, I thought that was all pretty exciting. Those were, I think Ozil was man of the match for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I won't go into this, but I thought it was interesting when you look at all the comments about how people thought we should or shouldn't line up for the game, who should or shouldn't start, whether we should rotate heavily because we needed to rest this, that and the other. Um, I don't know if you can draw any strong conclusions, but it just shows, you know, there are many answers to it. And in this case, the one Arson picked was to pick a strong lineup and interesting who the choices were to get a start and who they weren't. Um, and also interesting in that, if you like, his approach worked in that we got up early. And so he was then for, that thing we always say, well, if we put out a strong team, we can go up early and withdraw players, you know, on 55, 60 minutes and give whoever needs a rest. But it doesn't always turn out that way. Mm-hmm. You put out a strong team and they struggle. You put out a weak team. They go ahead. You know, you just don't know what's going to happen on the night. But this was definitely a, a victory for put out a strong team and then you can rest players. I do think Sanchez is fascinating in that. I wonder if part of his resilience and the way he keeps going is the fact that he's a guy who feeds on playing. If there's a mental and a physical aspect to getting tired, he may be just a guy who charges his batteries by playing. You can't play every game, but he's one of those guys who mentally doesn't need or want or benefit from time off. He benef- benefits from time on. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, I, I thought there were a lot of selection. You could do a pod on on who did and didn't get selected and our strategy or philosophy for the game. Yeah, it's interesting for me with Alexis. The the thing I thought about his game is he had a lot of opportunities where he missed the chance to put players in for easy goal-scoring chances. Um, And and his opening goal... And to add to that, he he also had one where he was uh, streaking ahead Mm -hmm. of the defense. He was through one-on-one with the keeper and then dropped back to cut in. Cut inside, yeah. Yeah, and it was unnecessary. So it wasn't as if he had a perfect game, and there may be some tiredness. But anyway, sorry. Well, but the thing that I thought was interesting is I remember when he when he scored the opening goal, he had the chance to to put in maybe it was Theo or Ozil, and I thought the opportunity had gone, and then he pulls out that delicious chipped finish. Um, you know, one and of the know, things. Go go ahead. Sorry, and, and you know you you referenced the chance uh, where he kind of tried to chop the ball back. Mm-hmm. That was actually about two to three minutes before he scored, and I mm. am absolutely convinced that's what he was trying. He cut back, and I'm convinced he was trying the chip, and it got blocked. So he obviously spotted something about the goalkeeper's positioning that he felt he could take advantage of. Well, and that's interesting. The, that's the thing. I mean, I, you know, the, to me, we we weren't we wondered going into the season where the goals would come from, and they're coming from places. You know, we hope they would, like Alexis, but they're coming from places maybe we didn't expect, like Ozil and Walcott. And one of the things we're seeing is just exceptional finishing. Um, Arsenal's converting above their XG right now. Um, we are we're scoring some sen- sensational goals, and th- this game was no exception, with the with the possible exception, I guess, of uh, uh, Oxlade Chamberlain's goal, which was a, a great finish, but sort of uh, just fortuitous in terms of where it landed. We saw a deft chip. We saw a, a beautifully curled finish from outside the box. We saw a ball hammered into the ground from, from Ozil, but it was off a, a brilliant sweeping move and cutback. Uh, we saw Ozil's volleyed finish off a nifty little chip from Perez. You got a lot to choose from here, Tim, but uh, um, what, was your, what was your favorite goal? I think probably the Alexis one, um, just because... Like I say, I, I think he was trying it a couple of minutes earlier. Uh, he tried it a couple of minutes earlier, and I, I do think that that was 
um, something he'd spotted quite early in the game. And before the first time he kind of tried it, I, I you know, I, that means that he spotted it before he was in front of goal, if you know what I mean. So yeah, so it shows it's, it's not just a piece me, of physical skill. It's, it's also really it's sort of understanding the game, reading the game, yeah. Exactly. Um, so it's not like he was in front of goal and and had that. It was he saw he was watching the goalkeeper. He had his eye on the goalkeeper before he was even in front of goal, and that is remarkably um, striker-like thinking. Yeah, I, it's it was impressive. I mean, for me, I, I think I have to pick Ozil's goal where he got the ball over the top. Was it from Santi? Mm-hmm. Um, only because the run the is touch. perfect. The over-the-top ball is incredible, but that first touch to just kill Man. it and and be in stride, I, I cannot imagine how hard that must be. And then to have the composure to finish side foot like that, it was it was really spectacular. Um, although Alexis's finish was probably the best of the bunch. How about you, Paul? You have a favorite of the group? Um. Maybe the TO one. What a surprise. <laughs> Can I ask you a question about that? Yeah. So at first my thought was it's got to be on the keeper. It didn't go in, you know, in the corner or into the side netting. But watching it from the sort of behind Theo mm. angle, it's got so much curl on Swing. it. Swing. That, it, that it, yeah. it, it finishes kind of behind the keeper. But, yeah. but is that a keeper? Is the keeper have some responsibility that one? Sure. But I fully agree with my thought process on followed the same arc as you I, I like first off i thought it was brilliant then i'm like how did he ripple that part of the net uh, right without the keeper getting a hand to it yeah that, yeah and then you look at the keeper position and it's terrible but that said a bit like the sanchez situation he spotted the gap and went for it um you you can't take it that doesn't take away from the striker making a decision. I mean, how often does Theo shoot from out there? Not very often. How often? So that's what I liked about the goal. It was spectacular, but it was a different kind of goal from Theo because he's at a different place in terms of his his attacking development and his confidence. The stats, so, the stats guys would tell you that that's a terrible place to shoot from and he should never do it again. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> however, they... And I'd love to have a word on the XG thing. Yeah, yeah so one, you had mentioned that. So what, what's yeah. your thoughts on XG? I, so, and by the way, for, for know, people who are just yeah. listening first time, XG, expected goals, it's a statistic that looks at shots and references histo- historically from that position and with angle to the goal and with defensive posture, what your likelihood of scoring from there. And actually our XG was only like 1.9 or 2.2 for the game. I actually have a thought on that too, but, but, but go ahead, Paul. Yeah, so... This is kind of an example of, uh, you know, one of the issues with XG, which is it was a much better opportunity than as its XG would say, because we were moving their defense around. You could argue we had moved the goalkeeper around because we switched it from left to right. Yep. And he was, the goalkeeper was in a bad position. And XG doesn't measure things like, um, you know, poor percent, um defensive positions for center backs, fullbacks. So here, here's the point I wanted to make on, say, XG this year versus last year. Last year, we were underperforming our XG. Our XG was better than we were. And, was, and that happens from time to time. I'm sure this is true with every team, but obviously I watch Arsenal week in, week out. And to me, last year, it made sense that we were underperforming our XG because we get into this, oh, well, if our conversion rate or our XG, if we're underperforming on either one of those, we must be, you know, the, the strikers or whoever must be doing poorly. And now we're overperforming, so the strikers must be doing great. It must be confidence. It must be, you know, the eyes. In. And maybe it's all one and the same thing. But for me, the difference between this year and last year is last year we were predictable when we attacked. And this year... They don't know what kind of crazy mofos are going to show up and in which position we move them around. So even if we're shooting from the same position, what we're facing, what Theo is facing, what um, what uh, Alexis is facing, you know, Ozil with his runs coming from nowhere, um, there's no way of quite capturing with that with XG. Now, they make their attempts to simulate it, but they can't quite capture 
the predictability or the non-predictability of our I, I think it does factor attack. in some things more than than you may consider. For example, I think some of the models factor in the number of passes um, that led up to sure. the shooting opportunities. Some of them factor in was the pass uh, lateral or straight. You know, they was... do. But but and I I have I spent a lot of time thinking about this and questioning on this. They do factor it in, but it's a fudge. It's a how do we. Yeah, it's all trying to account for factors that are yeah, and that are hard to to. quantify. And I think it makes it's a fudge factor, but it ain't the same thing. Well, I'll tell you, my my biggest issue with it would simply be it's a shot model, essentially. So, where Oxlade Chamberlain misses the simple, simple slide pass across to Theo for a tap in, there's no XG recorded there. Where, in my opinion, nine times out of ten, you get a tap in goal there. That that would be sort of my argument. Um. Tim, but, but just to just to finish mm-hmm. off, even on the shot model, it just does not capture. I mean, if we forget XG the, for the a second, the movement that we've created and the chaos that we're creating and unpredictability with the interchanging of our our front four, so to speak, is making these chances better than maybe XG is reflecting them. Yeah, and our utter predictability. You know, these are things that I think the three of forgetting XG and models. I think we'd all agree we're so much less predictable and deadly in terms of getting to that position in terms of moving them around in terms of having them rattled and on the back front than we were last year where we were so predictable. Here's what I would say. The the best way I could respond to that, Paul, is to say last season I would have had, if you blindfolded me and said, all right, we're in possession 20 yards from goal. I'm going to take the blindfold off. But before I do, tell me where the players are and what the, what the state of the play is. I could have predicted, well, Giroud's probably right here, and Alexis is right here, yep. and uh, Ramsey is right here, you know, whoever it was. And, and, and now players are, 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 have a freedom to be in positions you wouldn't expect them. Ozil is popping up into places he didn't before. Um, I saw Ars Blog asked Orbino on Twitter today a really interesting question uh, about how many offsides um, mm. Ozil has this season versus previous seasons, and, and he's offside at about twice the rate that he was mm. in previous seasons or, or thereabouts, showing that he's making more of those forward runs into the space that's you know vacated when Alexis drops deeper. So you're absolutely right about that. I, I think, you know, I, I referenced Oxlade-Chamberlain, Tim, and he, he did have some frustrating moments. And for me, the biggest example of that would be the pass to Theo that he didn't make, where I think, you know, mm. any quality player should be able to make that play. It's a very simple play. But he also did some really good things in the game, um, and arguably, with the exception of a few missed opportunities, had one of his better games in a while. How do you rate that performance from him overall? Yeah, I thought he was absolutely superb, actually. And and with reference to the missed pass to Theo, um, he should have shot there, quite you th- frankly. You really I, think so? I mean, that yeah. to me, that pass is... I mean, it's as Theo, easy a play Theo as you can make. Theo was wide open. Theo was so wide but open. I think the angle that Chamberlain's body was at, it was all geared up for a shot. Um, I'm, I'm massively in favour of passing to people in front of open goals, but um, I think the way he was approaching the goal and the shape his body was, it just it all lent itself to a shot. Well, let, um, let's agree that what, whatever me, he did ultimately, you know, it, it was one work. of those neither neither <laughs> here nor there. <laughs> no, no, precisely. But I, I thought I thought he was fantastic. Actually, I thought it's it's the best game I've seen him have in a while. And I know um, against Swansea, a lot of people were were very enthused about his substitute um, performance. I actually wasn't. Um, from an attacking sense, he was great. And, you know, the, the game lent itself to that because Swansea were going for the equaliser and they were, excuse me, they were stretched. But defensively, he was absolutely dreadful. There were times when there was a really frustrating occasion where the ball had got swung over to Neil Taylor at left back. And he miscontrolled it, and he like touched the ball about four yards in front of him. But Chamberlain wasn't watching, and mm. and then he ran over, but it was too late. Whereas if he'd just been in position in the first place, he'd have got there. And you know there were a couple of def- real defensive lapses like that, but there was none of that um, on Wednesday night. I thought he was, you know, he was decent going backwards. I thought he was very, very good going forwards. And I think, you know, I hope that. Um, Awobi's run in the team has not only motivated him in terms of trying to get him back into the team, but I kind of hope he's looking at Awobi and thinking, right, why is he in the team ahead of me? Because of, you know, the things he brings. 
and you know not trying to imitate the player but kind of thinking well Awoba's in ahead of me at the moment he might not necessarily be a more talented player than I am at this stage of his development that's debatable but there's probably not a lot between them in terms of pure talent but what 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 are the attributes he's bringing to the team well he's creative he takes players on he can go left or right um, he likes linking up you know playing one twos and things like that and how you know as well as perhaps providing a bit more of that um, how can I get him out of the team what is he not doing well defensively he's not fantastic um, and that's that's caused certainly Montreal a few problems so I hope you know outside Chamberlain is looking at that and thinking well if I start doing more of the stuff that Alex Awobi who I'm competing with is good at and also more of the stuff he's not so good at and I, I thought I think we really saw that um, on Wednesday night I think we really saw him make a concerted effort to be a bit more creative and not just this kind of head down push and run style he has he was really making an attempt to link the play yeah um and there are a couple of fantastic balls for alexis in the first half i think i think it, his was the pass that set the goal up but there was one just before that as well he played a nice reverse ball in the channel and that's exactly the kind of thing that awobi has been doing kind of those nice disguised passes into the channels for alexis and uh, i i really hope you know it's it's perhaps a bit perverse at this stage of his career for him to be learning from a 20-year-old, but um, I, I, I hope that's what's happening, and it kind of looked like that on Wednesday night. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the interesting thing is I, I, I think no matter how much he learns from Awobi, they are different players, and I, I don't think yeah. Ox is ever going to be able to play those quick little passes in around the edge of the box and have the same touch and movement and close control that Awobi does. I mean, his strengths are still push and run, dribble, power, pace, you know, all those sort of traditional stereotypes. But I, I think that is sort of the truth. He is not the needle player or, or tricky technical player that Awobi is. Um, but I, I do think he was good overall. It's interesting because we saw Perez come on, Lucas come on late and, you know, sort of do his Im impression of how to play that role. Uh, albeit from the other wing, and I thought he did brilliantly. And what, what really impressed me about Lucas there is, yes, he has the pace, but he has that, that strength too, that surprising strength to win the 50-50s. And, you know, from the left, he showed pace and strength to get on the ball and get it across to Ozil. From the right, he showed a lot of tremendous strength and, and some good touch to get himself into the body position to make that pass to Ozil. So those were both good um, examples of what he can do there. And I think that's really the question is there's no no chance anyone's displacing a Wobie from the starting 11 right now. But, you know, with Lucas, you know, clearly wanting a role and, and Oxlade-Chamberlain clearly being a favor to the manager, um, I, I think those two are both showing or both showed on, on Wednesday night their qualities as to why they should be the one selected. Um, and I agree that it was Ox's best game in a while. I, I, by the way, I did a disservice in my opening to Gibbs, who also replaced Nacho, and I thought did just fine. Paul, unless you want to add on Ox, I want to get to the defense for a minute. Yeah, uh, n not much. Okay. I, 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 I liked your Perez comment, because I think the one thing Alexis moving the center does is it opens up that left wing berth for competition. I, I thought Perez had a really interesting cameo performance he actually had a pretty good run didn't he something like 30 minutes or that mm -hmm. uh showed his pace showed what he can provide he's played a lot from the left in the past so that's a really interesting spot while well, i agree right at this moment uh there's no reason to drop a wobie uh you know it wouldn't be that surprising if he had had two or three cold games and it does open it keeps belief alive for um for Perez and for Ox to keep pushing and to keep to get their twenty minutes, with the hope that they'll get the a starting spot possibility in the near future. So yeah, I, I mean, you see in Lucas a, a developed, mature player, mm. and it's the decision making I thought was good. And and you know, in Ox, I, I think as good as he was, you still saw the occasional dribble into a blind alley or that that one example with Theo where he still doesn't trust himself all the time to make that right decision. I think when he's doing things that are individualistic, he's exceptional, or mostly. When he has to involve his teammates, I think at times, and this is not the case necessarily as much on Wednesday, but at times that's that's where he struggles. Um, 
Paul, I want to talk defensively for a minute some of the challenges. I mean, in the mm. first half, we could have had three, four, five, six. They could have had two, three, four, five. Um, and as the manager said, the more goals we scored, the better we defended. And I think that's true. Um, my read of this, you know, it's easy to say, oh, we, we were disorganized defensively. We were a clown card defensively. But what I saw, we are playing a high line. That's how we're setting up to play. And if you play a high line, I don't care if it's against, you know, a championship side, a Bulgarian side, a Premier League side. If you don't press and put pressure on the ball in midfield, it's way too easy to pick out runs behind. And that's what I saw is that we lapsed into a little of that old bad habit that got us those drubbings at Liverpool and Chelsea that we don't have to go over again where we played the high line and didn't press the ball in the center. Is is that what you saw as being the single biggest problem with us defensively or did you see something different? Uh, no, I think that's right. I think we should take into account that, uh, you know, I knew nothing about Ludogorets to be honest, or Ludogorets or Ludogorets. You're, you're fine. Move on. Okay. <laughs> Except that apparently they've got a new owner, loads of money, and they've five Brazilians in the team. Um, this guy up front, Cafu, uh, Wenger was talking about how quick he was. Good name. Uh, great name. And uh, we saw Bellerin give him a five-yard start and torch him early on in the game. So I'm thinking, well, maybe he's not all that. But he was bloody fast. Um, you know, alongside what you said, which I think is right, they had a couple of guys in their team who put some superb balls through the middle of our midfield. Now, um, so they had some real talent there swinging that ball around. I mean, there were two or three absolute peaches of through balls where you're like, wow, that's good from anybody. Um, Martin Keown's commentary on it, which I thought was very interesting, was that we weren't nearly as compact as we needed to be between the lines. I think that was a little bit of a factor of the the live by the sword, die by the sword. Uh, you know, we do like an open game. We do like it to go both ends, which is a little bit of a gamble, but it suits it suits where we're at at the moment and it suits Arsenal. Um, we seemed a bit too open. Um, so I don't have a good enough eye to, to determine whether it we just had a bit too much looseness, lack of compactness. But I think there's probably something there. Uh, maybe we didn't show them enough respect in that because it was only Ludogorets. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe, but I, I think it's a question of small degree. Because uh, I most, you know, without Keon's comments, I, I'd be 100% signed up to your view of it, which is this is kind of live by the sword die by the sword, this is what happens when you play a high line, when they have some real talent who can put some balls through, um, and they have speed, um, but they definitely nearly caught us a couple of times. Yeah, um, I, I just think, ultimately, you know, again, if you have any, any pace at all up front, and, and you're playing against a high line, if, if, some, if there's no pressure on the ball, yeah. you're dead. You're yeah. dead, because... It's too easy a pass to play. Um, you know, and, and I mean, Coughlin, God bless him. I mean, his statistics were bananas. I think he had eight tackles and seven interceptions or something, which is you know, just phenomenal. And it seemed like every single time he had one, it started an attack for us. Um, but, you know, in the, in the instances where he didn't, there were times where it's, it felt like we dropped off a little bit. And to their credit, they played good balls in behind, but we gave them that space to do it. I mean, if you look at the heat maps of Mustafi, Koscielny, Bellerin, and, and Gibbs, they're you know within five yards of the halfway line. Um, yeah, and it wasn't necessarily. Uh, I fully agree. And it wasn't when I think of the chances they they created. It was generally responding to a chance we just had. I wouldn't necessarily call it a complete counterattack, but the play was shifting from one end to the other. So you could imagine a little bit of of uh, loss of compactness, a little bit of loss of or loss of organization, just enough to create those gaps for people with a, yeah. who can really put a good through ball through. So yeah. I think that's a fair analysis. Yeah, t Tim. It turns out that goalkeepers are like London buses. Um, they they have two floors. No, that's not right. Um, but but seriously, I mean, we we never had any, and now we have two that both seem great. Just a quick word, doesn't need to be a deep dive on Ospina's performance at a time when the match was theoretically still up for grabs and what it means to have 
that quality sort of in reserve behind Czech. Yeah, it, it was it was fantastic, and uh, Wenger was very very careful um, to to really praise that contribution because it was vital at the time it came. I think um, feeding into the points about Ludogorets' attack, um, what Ludogorets have done is they're trying to copy the model that Shakhtar Donetsk uh, came up with a few years ago with their former Romanian coach, uh, Lucescu, who basically wanted his attacking midfielders, his wide players and his attackers to be Brazilian and for his defenders to be Eastern European um, for quite obvious reasons. Um, and Ludogorets, they have picked up a few decent Brazilians. The, the guy who played up front, uh, Jonathan Cafu, is, uh, he's actually a winger. He's a right winger, um, hence the Cafu nickname. Um, but Ludogorets have started playing him up front. And he's, as you saw, he's very, very quick. He's got a lot of pace. And so coming, <laughs> rowing it back to Espina, I think one of the kind of advantages of playing, the, the reason playing Espina in the Champions League works is because Espina's quite a typical South American goalkeeper in that he's a he's a pretty good shot stopper. He's quite good coming off his line, um, although sometimes he does end up behind it. But generally, he's quite good at sensing the danger and doing that sweeper-keeper thing, which he did on one occasion brilliantly. Um, and not only was it an excellent save, but he did very well not to handle the ball as well uh, because he was just coming out of the area. And in the but he's not so good at commanding his area, taking crosses, things like that. And in the Champions League, that isn't tested quite as much. And I watch it. I watch most of Colombia's games, um, and he he plays brilliantly for Colombia as well. And again, it's largely because he's not tested on one of his flaws, which is commanding his area, dealing with crosses. Um, and actually, he got caught out against Brazil recently because they scored from a set piece against him. So, I mean, it, it, I think this really works, him playing in the Champions League. And actually, Ludogorets is, you know, their attack is largely South American. So they play a kind of South American game up there. And again, that's just entirely what he's used to, what he's comfortable with. Um, it really works. Um, yeah, and I, I, I think well, he's... And given what UEFA just announced, the Champions League final could be in South America. So, well, you know, yeah, who knows? Quite. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's really worked very, very well. And I, I really think... I still have that reservation about his command of the area, but I think he's pushing Czech because I don't think Petr Czech has been that great since he came back from injury at the end of last season. Not a disaster area by any means, but he hasn't. He started his Arsenal career, I, I think, about this time last year. You know, we were talking about what a difference he's made, and I don't know if I've just become inured to that, but I, I don't feel like he is at the moment. I feel like he's. I totally Good. agree with you, but you know, as we're about to, to play a team like Middlesbrough at the weekend, for example, who's going to try to put in crosses and get on the end of things, yeah. I mean, I think we agree for the Premier League style of crowding the box and bullying yeah. the keeper, we're still probably better off with Czech in those yeah. circumstances. Just about, yeah. Especially given that we, we don't exactly have uh, the twin towers at central defense either. Quite. Um, and we're not playing Giroud, who you know w would be theoretically helpful defensively yeah. in those situations and our defensive midfielder is probably going to be Coquelin who again isn't no. you know isn't that tall no um okay so let's do this I mean real quick I, I want to ha have a word about Mesut Ozil and and he's he's sort of found this rich vein of goal scoring and I, I thought the manager had a great quote and I'm going to get it wrong because I don't remember it off the top of my head but basically like he scores whenever he wants in training essentially um and that, you know, the manager's been talking up his ability to score for a while. And we are sort of seeing this maturity, too. I mean, Ozil's 28, Walcott's 27, Alexis is 27, uh, Kazorla 31, Koscielny 31. We, we have these players now who are, you know, we have some younger players like Awobi and Bellerin, but by and large, the team is made up of players who are really maturing into a good age. And, you know, we've gotten rid of guys like Chesney and, and Jack Wilshire and people who you could argue maybe don't have their their mind in the right place professionally um it, it looks you like got a very... monreal and yep. check yep. as well i mean great point so i mean it, it, you know even ospino's 28 i mean a committed group of professionals that look very serious about their football um at a you know at a good age to to really push on and uh, and could i add mm -hmm. also at an age where it's now or never for them it's not just maturity yeah these next year this... or two for some of these yeah. players is gonna is gonna really be the best they're ever going to be. 
And that's an interesting alignment with with Wenger in his final year and his his desire not to want to have to get a contract over the heads of supporters, but with the support of the supporters. Yeah. So well, it's an interesting alignment. To have your two best players, Alexis and Ozil, sort of at their peak age at the same yep. time, you know, at 27 and 28. Um, well, let's talk about Ozil just really, really quickly because I, I kind of want to tie this into another issue, and we, we're going to stop in about 10 minutes here. So, um, Paul, with, with, with Messit... Obviously, he has the ability to score goals. I mean, he technically is, is a special kind of player. For you, which is the bigger contributing factor to what we're seeing from him in front of goal? His goal-scoring form and hunger to get on you know, on the end of moves or the removal of a target man striker and the creation of space that he can now run into? The removal of the target man. I, it opens up that space. I, I don't think... Ozil came into the year thinking he wanted to score more goals, per se, whoever Percy is. Um, but I do think this change in format invites him to run into that space, which he just can't resist, and to take that position, which he just can't resist. He's kind of signing up for for a, an attacking spot just because he loves space. And this is now the responsibility that comes with it. I don't think he's going there because he wants to score goals. He's going there because that is, you know, the prime real estate for a guy with his freedom and vision. So he's just finding himself in that position and I think somewhat reluctantly coming to the conclusion because his thing before was he will always find somebody who's in a better position than him. And I... I think that was largely true in other seasons. Now he's putting himself in the position where, sorry, Mesut, you're in the best position. Don't You can't wait around for somebody else to come and join you in that position. And so his desire to to do the right thing now says he's the guy who has to take that shot more and more often. He's the guy yeah. in the best position. He needs to pull the trigger. So... Um, I don't think Arson's wrong in saying there's, there's, that people have a view of how they see their game, and he almost—I don't know if he used the term comfort zone—but you know, players want to play within the way that they see the game, and that's changing for him. I think it's but interesting. Yeah. Well, the thing I was going to say is, you look at the runs he makes. For example, the headed goal he scored. You guys remember who was that against? Watford. Watford, thank you. Um, that's not a goal he can score with Giroud in the side, right? Because that space is occupied, and he runs into space that Alexis has vacated, and Alexis makes the pass. Yeah. The interesting thing is you have a player like Aaron Ramsey who thrives off that target man that he can make the secondary run off of, and then you have a player like Ozil who's the opposite, who likes to go where the players aren't, who likes to run into space, not run in behind a target man. And so it, it just seems to be suiting him really well, and... You know, I'll, I'll ask you this, Tim. Is this an aha moment, you know, for us as supporters, for the manager, for the players that like Olivier Giroud for all his qualities, and he is a talented player, that we were never built to play with someone occupying the spaces he occupied, moving the way he does. You can't press and counter and win in transition with a static center forward. You can't move your, your attacking your wide forwards around and, and create that chaos with him. I mean, is the aha moment here really that what we've been missing is this mobility? Um, I, I think that's absolutely right. I, I don't think it's an aha moment uh, so much because I think it's just been very obvious for a long time. Well, and, and you would I you would think, argue that the manager's been trying to find that alternative. Yeah. It just turns out the alternative was in the squad already. And that, we kind, and that we've kind of been through this less successfully but with Theo yeah. last year. We've right, been through point. it with yeah, Theo. We've, we've tried Alexis before. We've been through it with Welbeck, uh, who was preferred. We've <laughs> even tried it with Jovino. We've tried it with Lucas Podolski. I mean, Olivier Giroud's Arsenal career um, is has been really an exercise in trying to relegate him um, to a plan B option, which I think is what he was bought for. You've only got to look at his debut. On his debut, he was on the bench and Lucas Podolski played centre-forward. So I think we can assume that that was the plan at the time, but it just didn't work out. So I think certainly the manager's known it for a long time. Um, whether the players have probably depends on their own tactical intelligence and their own perception of the game. 
but I, I think it's it's really obvious and and to be honest I think if Danny Welbeck comes back okay um, we you know Giroud's Arsenal career might not be long for this world because could he Welbeck, go in January? Not quite January, um, and I don't I don't think Welbeck will be you know quite back and. I mean, yeah, the manager said January he might be he might be back. He just said that. Yeah, it will, and, it will take. But then he added that he sees him needing two months to be fully yeah, competitive. Precisely, I I think it's you know like I say if if Welbeck comes back and you know he's fit and he's the same player, um, then yeah because he he does some of those things that Giroud does anyway, but he's mobile as well, um, and I just can't. See, I know we discussed this a few weeks ago. I just can't see a scenario where we start Olivier Giroud. He's good to have on the bench, I think. Um, and it's just going to be a question of whether he's happy with that. And he, he might be. He might think, well, do you know what? I'm 30 years old. I'm not exactly going to get a move to Barcelona or Real Madrid. Maybe I'm happy here being a kind of plan B player, an important squad player. I can still score goals and affect games. But I just can't really see a scenario where we can start him anymore unless he's kind of the last option um maybe you could make a case that i i think oxlade i think oxlade chamberlain is a better player when Giroud is in the team and i think those two have a good relationship because they play to each other's strengths but you know oxlade chamberlain's not a first 11 player at the moment and you know it it changes the dynamic too much and i think now you know now we've tasted the nectar, as it were. I, I just can't see how on earth we would justify going back. Yeah. Um, and Giroud's only route in, in my eyes, is is an injury crisis, which is not unlikely. Um, and to <laughs> be to be fair to <laughs> and to be fair to Giroud, you know, someone once said to me that um, turning up is a very very underrated thing. Lots of people make very good careers just by turning up every day on time. And actually, Olivier Giroud's Arsenal career has just been a case of turning up. He stays fit. Um, all these other options don't work. And he's like, look, I'm here. This is what I do. And, you know, we've kind of had to keep going back to him and leaning on it. Um, and he's just made a very good Arsenal career out of turning up and absolutely fair play. He's a good player. But um, I'm, I just wonder if that's going to be enough, um, if assuming that Danny Welbeck um, comes back and is not plagued by um, these injuries he's had. Yeah, I, I, what I would say is I, I can see Giroud being a very helpful thing to bring on at 75 minutes when you're chasing a goal and you're going to start putting balls into the box and things like that. I can't see a scenario anymore where we'd want to play him from the start. Um, yeah. I think the manager would have to do everything in his power to pick anybody else to keep this kind of fluidity and movement um, because it's so clear that it's it's what gets the best out of the squad we have right now. And I, you know, look, people can accuse me of having an agenda and I know I've been critical of Giroud. I've always said it's not the player, it's the style. And I'm enjoying watching this football. I think we're all enjoying watching this football and I think we long may it continue. Um, you could argue that, you know, during the, the brutal Christmas program when there's games, you know, every two days and the weather isn't great, um, you know, we may, you know, we may need to, to try more of a battering ram approach in some of those games, and, and he would be great for that. I think the other thing for Giroud, the one good thing is, look, it's hard to convince a player to be patient not being in the side when the team's playing just okay. When you're scoring three, four, five, six goals a game, even the best players have to acknowledge, you know, it's not my turn right now. The guys out there are getting it done. Um, so we're, we're just about out of time. Uh, Paul, I want to give you if you can, if you can restrict it to like 60 seconds or, or two minutes, I want to end it on a negative note. Um, obviously, uh, if there's a, a cloud on the horizon, Aaron Ramsey doesn't tweet about Arsenal anymore. There are strong rumors. He wanted out this summer that he's become disaffected, that he's not super happy with the club. Is Aaron Ramsey a potential problem in waiting for this, for this team? No. Okay. I mean, um, what about you, so, Tim? Uh, I'll give you a very, very short very take short, after yep. that. Um, th there may be a lot to those rumors, but there may be nothing to them. Well, of course, um, in this case, yeah. So I'll go with the nothing till something more is proven. Um, I think the main challenge is just uh, 
what what solves all our problems is winning. Um, all of the problems. There, there are no problems we have, you know, from the manager, from the players, from the contracts, uh, the supporters. You know, we have no problems that winning doesn't fix. But all those problems come back once we get to a more mediocre stage of the season or our performances. Then I see issues with a disaffected Aaron Ramsey. But if we're all winning, you know, everybody wants to be part of that and can accept a smaller role for the larger good. And I'm not necessarily just talking about Ramsey. It's whoever's in, whoever's sitting on the bench for X number of games. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of, a, in a way, it's a self-solving problem um, okay. and one that winning's good and losing, we'll have loads of problems to talk about. We'll see, because obviously the player who would stand to probably lose a place, I would think for Ramsey coming back, is a Wobie. I don't think he would move into Cazorla or Coughlin's role, and, and you know I think Theo would stay in there. So it'll be interesting. I mean, Tim, I'll give you one sentence on this. If 50 million pound came offer, If a 50 million pound offer came in in January, would you sell Aaron Ramsey? Not in January. In the summer, if he won't sign a new contract, yeah, I'd think about it. And do you have any concern at all that his, his return could create some sort of problem for us, or you're not worried about it? I, I, I agree with what Paul said. If we're winning, no, but I think there could be possibly a situation here, but we'll have to, we'll have to see how it develops. I'll be very curious to see if the manager bends to the, the player's need to start, or if the player has to bend to the manager's acknowledgement that he's got a, he's got his best eleven on the pitch right now. It'll be interesting. We've got Middlesbrough, we've got Reading, we've got Sunderland, and then it's a North London derby in United. So uh, let's keep it rolling at the weekend. We'll come back and talk to you after seven nil at the weekend, eight nil. Could it be nine nil? Everything's going great. Uh, you can find Paul on Twitter at Positive My Pants. Thanks, Paul. Woohoo! Woohoo indeed. And you can find Tim on Twitter uh, at Stilberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure. Tim's latest Ars blog uh, column is up related to our midfield and our midfield options. I recommend it. It's a great read. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Give us a review, five stars, and write nasty stuff in the comments. We'll be back after Middlesbrough. Easy for me to say. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy the football. We'll talk to you soon. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com